What the fuck is up, world? Diali Tlaltik back. We back in this bitch. Another grito. Another podcast for that ass. I have no idea how long it's been since my last episode, but um, I honestly don't fucking care, right? <laughs> I'm trying to get these out as, again, I've already mentioned this struggle before. The struggle is simple. I want to provide you all with quality content, but I also don't want to provide you all with uh, long breaks. For those of you who keep up with the podcast, right? Uh, in between the posts, in between the episodes, right? In between the drops. So it's a delicate balance. It's a delicate dance. Um, and somewhere in there rests this underlying assumption on my behalf that hopefully by this point, I uh, if you're fucking with this podcast, you're fucking with this podcast. And there's the reason I'm bringing this up is because, you know, it's been brought to my attention that one of the best ways, if you will, quote unquote, to sustain an active listenership is to continue dropping consistent podcasts. But at this point, you know, uh, I hope that if you fuck with this podcast, you'll realize that for me, consistent seems to be about the two week mark, not because, you know, for any other reason than I do want. It is my sincere hope to continue to provide with, you know, uh, quality content. And unfortunately for me, uh, I cannot do so in a way where I can just pump them out quality content and, uh, you know, and and what seems to be anything less than a two week time frame. Right. So for those of you who are still listening along, I do appreciate the fuck out of that. For those of you who are supporting it, I definitely appreciate the fuck out of you. Um, it's almost nearing the 50 episode mark. I can't believe it. I was tripping on it the other day. I was looking back through the, uh, the through my podcast list and I realized that I've been doing this for about a year and a half now. And I got the 50th anniversary, uh, the 50th podcast uh, uh, coming up soon. So uh, something to look forward to for me personally right there. Right. Hopefully I can get it out to you in less than six months. Right. Um, but um, whatever the case might be. Uh, yeah. Let's just get on to it before I continue along with today. Uh, just a quick the, the quick fundamentals, if you will. Uh, follow your boy OG underscore ice nice 13 on the gram. You can follow somewhere along the same lines on Facebook uh, and yeah, I guess just Facebook, really. I don't fucking use my Twitter at all, bro. Twitter is a fucking cesspool, and I just I don't I don't have any time for it. There's just no 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 desire to engage into that fucking that sh- that shit show, right? Um, the same I guess is true to an extent on Facebook, right? I don't want to be seen up there. Oh, you're fucking racist, and all my racist fucking uh, uncles and uh, aunts fake Facebook posts, right? Um, so I mostly just stick to the gram. So if you're following along, please do your boy a solid follow along on the gram. If you're listening to this for the first time on the podcast apps, or if you're coming along to it from the gram, what's up, dog? I see you, right? Shout out to the people who have reached out to me and said, yo, what's up, dog? This is a podcast. I fucks with it. In which case I say again, I fucks with you in return, right? So let's get right into the fucking podcast for today. Um, I've actually been working on a few different podcasts, right? And I was kind of... Um, up in the air about the order in which I was going to drop these podcasts. And then something completely um, external emerged and I decided to release it as a podcast in and of itself. Now I did in the interest of full disclosure, actually record the initial um, presentation. I gave a presentation for the college that I worked for. One of the colleges that I worked for um, the philosophy club, I gave a presentation for the philosophy club. Um, And although I did initially record that, you know, that presentation with the intention of releasing it as a podcast. Um, in retrospect, I decided to just do it all over again for a variety of reasons, chief among which being is that given that it was a fucking formal presentation, uh, there wasn't much of my, there wasn't much of me in, in the podcast itself, right? It was more of the, the, the professional quote unquote me. Okay. 
And uh, although I know I've dropped podcasts uh, in, in regards to that particular, you know, side of me before, the most recent one that I just dropped, right? The Slaughter Bench of History, that was all fucking quote unquote professional shit. Uh, that's an actual lectures, right? Three actual lectures on my behalf. So obviously it's professional in that respect. But um, I wanted to, you know, explore this topic in a non-professional way for a variety of reasons, more reasons, right? Just more reasons on top of reasons on top of reasons. And um, one of them being is that I just felt as though this philosophy merited it. Okay. Uh, another reason is that in the presentation itself, um, I kind of felt as though I was hum- hamstrung in, in terms of the time constraint. Uh, and, uh, as for the presentation is concerned, I was originally given 45 minutes, which is plenty of time. Don't get me twisted. But then those 45 minutes got eaten up by some other stuff. And I just didn't really get to finish exactly what it is that I wanted to talk about. And I didn't necessarily get a, uh, 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 a chance to, lay the foundation for what it is that I was trying to get to. So I said, you know what? Fuck it, Doug. Let's revisit this presentation that I gave. I'll do it in a podcast form. And yeah, we'll just take it from there. So what I wanted to start, what, what the presentation again was, was on not what philosophy. And uh, I started it with a quick land acknowledgement, right? And then I went off into this whole fucking spiel about the importance of land acknowledgements. But then I said, and then fuck a land acknowledgement, dog. And this is the part where I'm saying like, I can't be too, you know, I couldn't be too much of myself. I had to be a little bit more um, reserved, if you will. I had to be a little bit more professional. Okay. Um, and the reason I said fuck a land, uh, I didn't say it, but you know, that's, that's the sentiment in, in, in the spiel that I gave is because realistically, yo, land acknowledgements are nothing more than these fucking placatory practices aimed at appeasing white guilt. I said that part, right? But um the the reason then is that the reason why I don't really fuck with land acknowledgements is because I, I I'm moving beyond just simply acknowledging the lands that we stand on. Okay, at this point, it's important to start working towards restorative justice, which is something that you know is gaining hot button. It's it's, it's gaining a lot of traction in a lot of a lot of parts of the world. Uh, everything from knocking down statues that represent you know racist colonial past. That's a form of restorative justice. Okay. Another form of restorative justice that just took place here in El Paso uh, is where they officially, for the first time, celebrated Indigenous Peoples Day. And, you know, it seemed weird to even use the word celebration because realistically, it's kind of a day of mourning, man. We're fucking celebrating the death of 100 million peoples from this fucking continent, which is strange because you don't want to celebrate such a thing. But it's a small progress, right? It's a small step towards undivorcing ourselves from the fucking problematic uh, 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 holiday that it, you know, was originally celebrated, which was, of course, the fucking holiday honoring the rapacious, the murderous, the fucking thieving bastard Christopher Columbus, right? So baby steps in that regard, right? So that's a small step in the restorative justice that it is that I'm talking about. And that's kind of why I don't really fuck with a land acknowledgement, right? Um, you want to fucking show restorative justice, give the land back to the original fucking peoples that, you know, uh, occupied this space before it was illegally fucking stolen from them by the European colonizers. That's a fucking restorative act of justice. Okay. Uh, land acknowledgement doesn't fucking, it doesn't do anything, but, you know, make people feel okay with the fact that they're here because they say, oh, well, at least they acknowledge the fact that we're on, you know, an, an indigenous land, but no, man, it takes more than just that. Right. So, um, I guess uh, just to keep it in the spirit of the presentation that I gave, the land that uh, I'm currently occupying, uh, it, it historically belonged to uh, three, you know, you know, three tribes here in this area, the El Paso, the greater El Paso area, the greater borderland area. And those peoples were the Mansos, the Sumas and the greater Apache people, man. Um, there is a, an officially uh, recognized tribe here, the Tigua, but they're from actually from up north uh, in Albuquerque and they were displaced. Uh, by the Spanish colonizers in the 1670s and the 1680s, to which they came down to El Paso and settled here, right? So big ups to them as well. And I did introduce this part into my presentation for the sole purpose of making it clear that 
the, the, the notions of identity, the notions of fucking citizenship, these are all very problematic, especially when it comes to people who are, by and large, the descendants of the indigenous occupants of this land, like myself and probably you who are listening to this too as well. You know what I mean? And um, the the correlation then between the fucking Tigua peoples and people like you and I, these detribalized folk, is that the we, you and I are basically here for the same reason that the fucking Tigua people are here in El Paso, and that is that they are fucking displaced by the colonial European Spanish people, right? Uh, my transition to this area of Turtle Island is a lot more recent than the than, than, than that of the Tigua, okay? I'm a quote-unquote first-generation American, right? Uh, if you want to use the racist colonial language, I'm a fucking anchor baby, dog. My mom had me here before she was even a U.S. citizenship or, or had U.S. citizenship. She does now, but... Um, I remember when my mom gained citizenship. I was in fucking middle school, dog. So I was I, I along with many of my brothers and right and sisters, we're first generation Americans, quote unquote. Okay. Which means that the peoples that, you know, my ancestors, they don't originally come from this area of fucking <laughs> Turtle Island, man. This El Paso borderland area. They don't come from here. They come from deep in the fucking heart of Mexico, bro. My grandmother, she comes from uh Coahuila. Okay, which is over here by, you know, like the a little bit more of uh, the, the, the valley of Texas. Okay, the border in Mexico. And my grandfather, he comes from Mapimi, Durango, which is, you know, deep in, you know, central Mexico. All right. So I recognize that me, myself, too, I am not fucking indigenous to this particular space of Turtle Island. And so I'll give up the shout out. I'll give the fucking, you know, the peoples that, that originally occupied, occupied this land. They're, they're due proper. But I'll also qualify by stating that the reason I'm here is for the same reason that the fucking Tigwas are here. And that is because external factors, namely in this particular sense, the Spanish colonizers drove my fucking family to come up north. In this case, we move beyond the Spanish colonizers and we move into the English colonizers, the Americans, right? Who would become the Americans that established this fucking capitalist system that took advantage of the labor all right, the 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 cheap labor of brown peoples, and that's that's the fucking story of how I got here. Okay, uh, my grandfather was a bracero. For those of you that don't know the history of the bracero program, essentially what happened is that there was a farmer strike in um uh, in in the early uh, 20th century or the mid 20th century. So in order to um you know make up for this, the uh, the American government at the behest of corporations they began to allow programs for Mexican people to come up here to work as migrant workers. They called them braceros back then, okay? And that's and and in doing so they allowed them a path to citizenship, which in and of itself it seems like oh cool, this is how you know one way to enter into the country, but realistically when we look deeper it's just nothing more than the history, the continued history of exploitation of brown labor on this continent by the European colonizers that you know again and that is how much like the Tigua people, I found myself up in this area of Turtle Island, okay? Um, specifically, it just goes into the history, for example, of why the United States border is divided, where the United States border is with Mexico. Uh, there was this, this conflict between uh, the competing factions of government and corporations in American history when deciding when they were doing their westward expansion, where exactly after you know the, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was signed, where exactly we're going to demarcate the borders between Mexico and the United States. And the problem was simple. We want all this fucking land, but we don't want any of the fucking brown people because the more brown people have U.S. citizenship, the more it's going to threaten the fucking value of a United States citizenship. Okay. Namely in terms of white, uh, of, of upholding white supremacy. So, um, the, 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 the final, um, 
the, what, what it basically boiled down to in the end then, this is a quick recap of some shit I've talked about before in another podcast, is that, um, you know, they decided to draw the borders where they did because they would have access to cheap labor. It was, a, it was like a win-win situation for these fucking greedy capitalist fucks because they would have quick access to cheap labor that they could exploit, namely in the form of the brown communities, like my grandfather. And, you know, my grandmother, who are the ones that came up here seeking to uh, escape the financial conditions that were imposed on Mexico by European colonization by way of exploiting their labor in the, in, in the fucking American country. You know what I mean? So it's just this it's deeply interwoven, deeply intertwined. And all of this was a long way to introduction of explaining that even though, you know, we're not traditionally considered indigenous peoples in the sense that we're tribalized like the fucking uh, Tigua people would be or like a, 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 any other uh, um, uh, any other uh, a federally recognized tribe would be. That doesn't necessarily that doesn't imply by any stretch of the imagination that we're not from this fucking continent. You know what I mean? So in that particular respect, we start to when, when this is the point that I was trying to make here with uh, uh, the peoples that I was talking to in this presentation is that yo this is your shit dog this is your ancestral legacy this is your ancestral lands this is your fucking ancestral wisdom your ancestral philosophy that we're going to be talking about okay and you should not feel as though this is something removed and alien from you because realistically that that right there that belief that this is something removed and alien to you that you are an immigrant here on this country that's just in and of itself another one of the many tricks and tools that these fucking white supremacists use to uphold their 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 grip on this this country on this continent on our lives you know what i'm saying now i did qualify it. i went into the whole rant and the whole spiel about how this particular action leads some people to, in the indigenous communities to feel some type of way and i acknowledge it and i've already addressed it multiple times so i'm not going to fucking do it any further because i don't i don't care to i don't have to prove myself i know what i am i know who i am i know what i represent i know what the fuck i'm doing i know that there's no ill will on my behalf no ill intention on my behalf but just to give their due credit they're proper they state that these particular arguments by people like myself who are quote unquote detribalized they like to say that we're not indigenous were of indigenous descent, which makes no fucking sense at all whatsoever. It's just fucking language games that they like to play with one another, okay, in these fucking academic institutions. But um, what they're saying then is that people like myself, these detribalized, quote unquote, people of indigenous descent who aren't indigenous somehow because we're not, you know, tied to the ancestral customs and traditions, which I understand, but fuck them. Language uh culture is dynamic it's not it's, it's always constantly changing okay and just because we're not com we're not attached to the fucking culture doesn't mean that we we can't you know embrace it nonetheless right and doing so is necessary in the sense that it this realistically this has real world fucking implications dog when you're and this is this is going back to the point that i was trying to make with the presentation that i was going to get to later on uh, in this podcast and that is that we see shit here uh, in El Paso, especially because we're fucking literally on the front lines, dog. Like, the border is fucking right here. Okay. And uh, we have a front row ticket to the fucking shit show that is the United States, um, you know, colonialism. We have people of indigenous, you know, uh, indigenous peoples, let's just call them what they are, who are being penned up under overpasses. Okay. Outdoors, dog. Uh, fucking marked by barbed wire fences being guarded by this militarized border. 
Why? Because they have had the uh, uh, their claims to this land removed from them and they've been made foreigners on their own fucking turf, bro. And when we perpetuate these ideas that these fucking that people like myself are not indigenous, we're only furthering that, you know, these harmful stereotypes that allow people to be fucking removed from their families, violently deported and so on. You know what I mean? So nah, like I understand why people are saying that, you know, they fear as though, you know, stories such as the one that I'm giving you are a form of erasure of indigenous communities that are already federally recognized, to which I say, dog, it's not a competition, bro. It's not even about trying to erase your identity. Like I respect and uphold and will fucking ride for your identity full, full clip. But it's a two-way street. Respect is a two-way street. You got to fucking recognize to recognize. You know what I mean? Uh, you got to recognize in order to be recognized. And if you don't recognize me, then why the fuck should I recognize you is the basic point that I'm trying to say. And it might it might seem as though it's an assault to, on you, but realistically, it's nothing more than a fucking desire to stop in one way, shape, or form or another by introducing the ideas that are necessary for this to happen, the violent deportations, the violent fucking separations of families. And we cannot do that until we start to reimagine our ideas of what a citizen is, of what a non-citizen is, of what an indigenous person is, of what a, uh, of what a non-indigenous person is, okay? And that was kind of the whole point that I was trying to get to uh, with this podcast. And I think that, well, that was my goal in this presentation that I'm turning into a podcast, I should say, right? And it was my goal to try to do so by introducing the realization that, yo, one of the best ways to help, uh, going back to the restorative justice, one of the best ways to restore justice to people is to fucking restore their humanity, dog. And one of the easiest way to restore people's humanity is to start to recognize their intellectual fucking contributions to the world, bro. So um, in, in philosophy, this long-winded introduction about the history and about displacement and all that kind of shit, displacement, it might seem like completely unrelated, but realistically, that's just the surface level, dog. When we scratch beneath the surface, we start to reveal to ourselves a little bit more about the relationship that this has with philosophy. And the philosophy, the relationship is simple. European people refuse to acknowledge European philosophers and their physical and intellectual descendants. What I mean by their physical descendants is obviously like European people. You have very, uh, you know, characteristic traits. You have the blonde, the, the blonde hair, the, the the colored eyes, the light skin. Okay. Uh, whereas opposed to uh, people like myself, we have the the the, f the familiar traits as well. Uh, not the blonde hair. It's more like silver right now at the moment. But uh, we have the dark hair, etc. We have the darker skin, right? Whatever the case might be, the darker colored eyes. Um, but what I'm trying to say here is that. It's not just their physical descendants, bro. It's their intellectual descendants as well. And by the intellectual descendants, I mean people like myself, Doug. Be even me, before I started this fucking indigenization process, I would uphold this European supremacy by maintaining this false belief that philosophy was a unique construction of the European peoples, that it was the pinnacle of European thought, that it was something uniquely European and that anything that isn't fucking European philosophy doesn't count as philosophy which is complete and utter horseshit. Of course, if you're measuring something by your own standard, you're always going to be in the fucking, in the perfect position to judge others, right? And that's kind of what European philosophies do. They say that anything that isn't European philosophy uh, isn't even philosophy, that it is at best like complex religious myth-making, okay? Which is what they would say of the of the Nahuatl people. Um, and that only Europeans are able to, you know, uh, properly philosophize as writ, which is fucking hilarious because we're talking about, you know, 
We're talking about cultures like that of the Aztecs who did shit, or I should say the Mexica, because the Aztec, that's not a real name. That's something that was invented in the, in the 19th century. Okay. They referred to themselves as the Mexica Tenoca people. Okay. That was the actual people that occupied uh, Mexico Tenochtitlan. Okay. Um, uh, but I speak of the Nahuatl people more in terms of the language association of all the peoples of Central uh, and uh, of, of Mexico. Okay. But, um, we're talking about a peoples here who did shit like fucking independently discovered the importance of the number zero. Okay. We're talking about people here. Give me one second. So I can find my place in these notes here. There we go. We're talking about people here, you know, who fucking had complex understanding of shit like engineering and the cosmos and their place in it. They had a complex understanding of fucking mathematics, bro, of medicine, the law. They had equally complex social structures and their fucking European people are out here trying to tell us that somehow, despite all of this, that these fucking people who, you know, they fucking had the precise rendering of the stars and the seasonal processions, bro. These people who avoided the bubonic plague that decimated Europe at the similar time by constructing these fucking complex sewage systems, right? In cities that were built so fucking exquisitely, dog, that the Spanish themselves questioned when they saw them for the first time, whether they were in a dream, okay? And these fucking European philosophers have the audacity to still fucking consider or ask advance the ideas that they still somehow, despite all this, the Mexica peoples and the associated Nahuas did not concern themselves with the fucking quote unquote traditional philosophical problems. Okay. And even if they were, these European philosophers going to want to say, even if they did experience, they being the Mexica here and the associated Nahuatl, uh, even if they did, they want to argue, experience the quote unquote human restlessness that results from doubt and a sense of awe that gives rise to rational inquiry into the fucking origin and the essence and the destiny of man in the world. They still, according to the European philosophers, never approached that which is what they consider to be philosophy. Right. They have this very, they have this fucking convenient standard that I mentioned earlier. Right. I don't speak German dog. I don't give a fuck how the word is pronounced. If they can pronounce my name, my fucking, uh, my Nahuatl name so that at that, right, properly, then maybe I'll concern myself with, uh, trying to pronounce this word correctly. If not, I can give a fuck less. Right. But it reads out as I see here, Welton Shung, right, which is spelled W E L T A N S C S H H or rather S C H A U U N G. Right. So whatever the fuck that, however the fuck you pronounce that word. Right. Uh, it's a word that was uh, advanced most prominently by German idealists, such as that fucking piece of shit Hegel that I referred to in my previous podcast. OK. And it roughly translates to, quote unquote, worldview. OK. And this idea of this worldview that they're advancing uh, was to designate what they refer to as this series of actions that arise that makes sense of the inherently obscure source of all cultural life and thinking. So this is their standard for what becomes philosophy. You have this fucking worldview, okay? And that this inherent in this worldview is this fucking obscure source of all cultural life and thinking that is responsible ultimately for philosophy, right? So according to this line of reasoning, there's going to be a sharp distinction then between having a philosophy, as in like holding an implicit philosophy, okay, a cosmovision, if you will, and doing philosophy, right, which is, again, fucking hilarious. And it should come as no surprise then when you have philosophers like um, fucking Husserl, who states shit like the term Western philosophy is the tautologist and the term non-Western philosophy is oxymoronic. 
And Richard Rorty, who states shit like looking for philosophy outside of the West is pointless since philosophy is unique to Western culture. It should be no surprise, bro. It should come as no surprise then that these people who conveniently set the fucking standards of what they consider to be philosophy think that only the ancient Greeks are conveniently, again, credited with having this general sense of awe and wonder and why everyone else was didn't. Okay, so that in turn, only the ancient Greeks can be credited with doing actual philosophy. This is just so fucking ridiculous. It's so preposterous that just by examining it critically, we start to realize just how fucking deeply problematic and just outright fucking racist this fucking bullshit thinking is, dog. And um, you can't, you know, you can't understand the problems at the border without understanding what informs the problems at the border, the epistemology that shapes the ontology, to use the fancy philosophical language. To break it down a little bit more in the hood philosophy sense, you can't understand the problems at the border, you can't understand the reality of the border until you understand the ideas that influence and shape this reality at the border, dog. These people do not consider us fucking equals. They do not consider us, they don't even consider us peoples, bro. They consider us as beneath them, okay? And they use philosophy to fucking justify this shit, which in turn shapes the real world lived experience of the people here in the border. And that's fucking ridiculous, dog. So that was kind of the impetus behind this fucking, um, why I wanted to do this presentation. I was like, yo, we got peoples here who are the actual fucking physical descendants of peoples that were, you know, responsible for some of the greatest uh, advancements in human history. And yet they have no idea because we've been brainwashed by these fucking settler colonial bullshit ass institutional learning facilities to believe that we contributed nothing to this fucking to this world. And it's nonsensical, dog. Um, the Nahuatl, bro, in, in general, we're speaking here of the Mexicas, the philosophy that I'm going to be discussing now. The, of, dude, of course they practice philosophy, man. Okay. Much the same way any other culture around the world practiced philosophy prior to the fucking Europeans getting here and quote unquote discovering everything, man. Okay. Um, this is like almost, this reveals itself as almost to be intuitively true. Okay. But um, unfortunately, in philosophy, we need more than just intuition to justify a claim, which is kind of where I start to get into the actual more Mexica philosophy, right? I know I dropped the Mexica philosophy podcast a couple episodes ago. So hopefully a little bit more Mexica philosophy is something that you're, you know, uh, 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 expecting for this podcast. All right. So um, in understanding this world in motion, it's going to go back a little bit to what we discussed in the previous episode that I did on a little bit of Mexica philosophy when I was talking about Olin motion change and shit, right? But um, I guess this could serve as a little bit of uh, supplementary material, even some foundational material to that podcast, just in case. I don't I don't even know why I'm trying to justify it. OK, if you're fucking with this podcast, you're fucking with this podcast. I appreciate you listening to it. So more than qualifying it, I'm trying to tell you, like, if you're interested in, you know, getting a deeper understanding about how this how that previous podcast into that previous podcast, um, this is the one that you'll want to listen to because it will do just that. Right. And because it is going to underpin the Aztec metaphysics. Right. So before I even get into metaphysics, the now Mexica metaphysics, I should say. Um, I should, uh, metaphysics, I'll just state, should be understood in its broadest terms for me, okay, in this particular presentation, podcast. And that is that it should be understood, uh, understood rather as an investigation into the nature, the structure, and the constitution of reality, like what makes up reality, okay? So uh, metaphysical questioning can entail questions concerning like the nature of reality, the nature of existence, being, causality, time, space, personal identity self, God, free will, the mind and the body, and all those other kinds of fucking abstract concepts that we deal with in philosophy, okay? 
Uh, now, for the Mexica, these questions, they could all be reduced again to one fundamental thing. This fun, this, I've talked about it so many times, but now I'm giving you a little bit of the fucking the, uh, metaphysical foundation for it. This fundamental thing, again, is this dynamic, vivifying, eternally self-generating and self-regenerating sacred power. You could use it as a force or even energy referred to as Teotl, okay? Now, unlike the ideas of God as creator ex nihil in, in Christian thought that is common in the Western world, the Mexica, again, they don't see Teotl as the creator of the cosmos, but rather the imminent engenderer of the cosmos. And I hate to even use that word uh, engenderer because it implies that there's something that needs to be engendered, which is not realistically fucking accurate because if Teotl is everything, then it implies that everything is already engendered to begin with. Okay. So the basic idea is that it creates everything. Okay. Uh, and, and at the fundamental level, we are all comprised of the same shit. It's the cosmos. Okay. And what that means then is that unlike this Christian worldview that sees the creator of the universe as this quote unquote minded, intentional agent or deity, this Teot was a non-agentive force that expressed ultimately, that was rather expressed ultimately in the guise, if you will, the Nawa, not Nawat as like the, in the actual people, but Nawa as in the guise, the spirit animal, if you will, of the cosmos, Okay. So uh, what happens here is essentially then that for the Mexica, the history of the cosmos is going to be nothing more than the self-unfolding and the self-presenting of Teotl, uh, one that is sacred, uh, not because of some detached status that it enjoys, but rather because of what constitutes it, namely Teotl, okay? Um, so yeah, it goes on. I should qualify it further here that uh, the point of my presentation was to try to uh, just introduce uh, a different world that most of the, the people who fuck with Western philosophy are used to. Okay, so I was I was juxtaposing Mexica philosophy with Western philosophy, essentially, right? So when we continue along this juxtaposition, what we reveal to ourselves is then that for the Mexica, reality and thus the cosmos and all of its inhabitants are identical with and composed of this sacred energy. You are me, bro. I am you. And at the fundamental level, we are all Teotl, okay? And we are just a fucking Nawa, if you will, of one of the many, the infinitely many, everything in reality, this Tupac painting and this Biggie painting behind me, the lights, the flag, you, me, the microphone, everything, bro. It's all reduced fundamentally to the sacred energy of Teotl, okay? Now, um... The stars, the rocks, the trees, the rivers, the mountains, the sun, everything, bro. It's all the old. We're all the same thing, okay? Um, and to be more succinct about it, the Mexica held both what was referred to in philosophy as an ontological and constitutional monism. Because again, what this implies is that there's only one thing. I cannot emphasize this enough. Teotl, okay? And it constitutes the every facet of reality, including itself, so um, furthermore, I guess I should state is that since only Teotl exists and since its constitutionality is uniform, this implies that they, the Mexica, held what is known as a non-hierarchical metaphysics, okay? This non-hierarchical metaphysics, bro, is where we fucking really start to deviate from the Western tradition of philosophy, as if we already haven't enough, with the distinction between a monistic worldview and a dualistic worldview, the Nahuatl holding the monistic worldview, the Europeans holding the dualistic worldview, okay? And this distinction, and actually I should qualify this further by stating that fuck Jordan Peterson for first and foremost. And, uh, you know, why is because he upholds this Western fucking European hierarchical metaphysics, which the Nahuatl and me personally all my life, but now understanding because I have the language to articulate it, I uphold 
the non-hierarchical metaphysics, okay? So what these non-hierarchical metaphysics, what's so unique about them is that they deny any sort of distinction that is common in dualist metaphysics, right? Such as a, a metaphysical distinction between the transcendent and the imminent, okay? Uh, a distinction, if you will, between higher and lower levels of existence, a distinction between degrees of being, a degree, a difference between quote unquote kinds of stuff, right? Uh, a difference between supernatural and natural entities and so on. All this kind of distinction that is common in fucking Western European thinking. So the most prominent example of this is in, in Western thought would be that which again is articulated through platonic theory, the, the, the theory of forms, right? And basically what it's going to want to tell us for those of you who have not, you know, uh, I know I maybe I did a podcast a little bit talking about the allegory of the cave and I meant to, actually now that I remember it I meant to go back and finish it but I really don't give a fuck about Plato so I did it right um basically though what's happening here with this allegory of the cave this platonic theory of forms is that there exists this eternally fucking perfect world in this fixed and transcendent you know space that is uh you know uh removed from the imperfect world that we are occupying supposedly right and that inherent in this view would imply that the closer, quote unquote, one is to this imminent transcendent world, the closer to the quote unquote truth that they are, right? As it were, the quote unquote truth, okay? And this is just fucking nonsense according to the Nahuatl metaphysics. This is just doesn't make any fucking sense, okay? Because again, they are monists. There is no distinction between higher order and level, uh, you know, uh, transcendent and the imminent universe and the world that we're living in now. It's all the same fucking thing, bro. It's all one reality, okay? And we're not removed or detached from it. We are the reality experiencing itself, okay? So... Uh, what they're going to want to say is that instead of a hierarchical metaphysics, they hold a non-hierarchical metaphysics. Well, the best way that you could uh, uh, see it is that instead of like a ladder where things go however you want to take it, either from the top of the ladder or from the bottom of the ladder to the top, we'll take it from the, the top of the ladder down. At the top, you have fucking shit like the quote unquote Christian God. Then you have shit like the angels. Then you have humans. Then you have animals. Then you have plants. Then you have the earth, Right. That's bullshit hierarchy nonsense, according to the Nahuatl. What they're going to want to see it as existing on a fucking continuum. And just for simplicity's sake, just for familiarity's sake, we'll say that this continuum exists from left to right, okay? Um, which is really difficult because it's problematic, I should state, in that there's you just by demarcating left and right, you've already in, you've already imposed boundaries and limits, but that's not necessarily how this continuum works, okay? But um what happens here with this continuum is if you recall back to the previous podcast on Nahuatl philosophy, they hold the circulation of energy in high esteem, okay? And given their monistic cosmovision, they excluded nothing from the sacred, bro, uh, including what they refer to as the Tlazoli, right? Tlazoli in Nahuatl language is, so it could be referred to as shit that's like rotten, shit that's decomp literally shit, dog. It's literally shit, okay? Uh, it's rotten shit. It's decomposed. It's deranged. Uh, it's dearranged rather, it's decomposed, it's disintegrated, and it's displaced stuff, okay? And it's represented best through things like shit, literal shit, okay? Slime, vomit, nasal mucus, and excrement, okay? The Nawa regarded this, even this shit, this literal and, and, and figural shit as fucking sacred, dog. Why? Because again, everything is composed of theot, including actual shit, slime, vomit, nasal mucus, and excrement. You know what I mean? Um, and obviously, this holds in stark contrast to these platonic and by proxy Euro-American and Christian conceptions that view the aforementioned with absolute disdain, okay? They consider such stuff as profane. They consider it as 
polluting and thus ultimately diametrically opposed to what they refer to as the quote-unquote sacred, right? So um, basically what they're saying is that it's at the bottom of the hierarchy, right? Shit is at the bottom of the hierarchy. It's the fucking, uh, it's the non-sacred, the non-profane, and God is at the very top and shit would fucking offend their Christian God. This is fucking stupid according to the Nahuatl metaphysics and they, and they reject ultimately such an understanding, right? Which structures this reality again in accordance to how things are arranged rather than what they are arranged of, what constitutes them, right? This is the constitutional element of their ontology, their worldview, right? Everything, again, in this Nahuatl ontology is reduced to one fundamental essence, Teotl, okay? And since Teotl is as sacred, everything in turn is sacred vis-a-vis. It just, it, it just stands to reason, including, again, Shit, literal and figuratively, okay? So um, what this boils down to then is that rather than establish this distinction and in turn hierarchy of the sacred and the profane, the Nawa instead viewed both as existing, again, along this continuum, with Tlazoli serving as what they refer to as a sacred purification process of sorts from which life, order, and purity emerge, Okay. I've talked about this briefly on my Instagram for those of you who follow when I started talking about Lazotiot, right? Uh, the filth goddess, if you will. And we're going to get a little bit deeper into it here. The basic gist is that things become more pure by becoming better arranged, okay? Or better ordered, if you will. And vice versa. Not by their proximity to the sacred or the profane as European, American, and the Christian worldviews hold, okay? Now... This occurs, again, via the ever-circulating and recycling of Teotl. So a prime example of this would be our daily lives. Like me personally, if you fuck with this podcast long enough, if you fuck with the gram that I follow, that I you know, keep up with this shit long enough, you'll know that I am, the most important thing for me is how the philosophy that we're fucking learning applies in a practical, everyday, lived world, okay? And... As we'll see here, this is exactly what the fucking Mexica peoples are trying to do with their philosophy as we get deep, uh, closer to the end of the podcast, okay? Um, so in this particular sense, we're trying to see how... Uh, let's, let, let's break it down to our daily lives. Something that I've talked about me personally on this podcast plenty of times, dealing with quote-unquote depression, the sickness of the spirit, okay? Um, and the, the ensuing efforts to fucking overcome it, Right? But again, these ideas of depression, like I talked about on that previous podcast, that's fucking Western shit, dog. For me, sickness of the spirit. And what happens is then I need to purify my spirit so that I can become better ordered, better, uh, 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 more uh, 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 revealing, if you will, better arranged so I could be closer to the end of the continuum that does a better job of revealing the sacredness of what I am, of what you are, et cetera, okay? Which is, again, Teotl, right? And um, what happens, though, inevitably, is that this is not a fixed position. Again, the movement of energy. This is a philosophy of movement. So it's pretty fucking ridiculous they're going to want to state to believe that you're going to arrive to this point where you've overcome, if you will, the, the, the sickness of the spirit, where you've attained the perfect end goal. And then now you can live out the rest of your days in this fucking perfect state, right? Without having to worry about doing any of the work necessary to maintain your position. This is nonsensical and it doesn't fucking fall in line with what they believed about reality that Nahuatl said that inevitably you are going to fall back into this fucking cycles 
right? It's going to be a continuous movement of energy. And that even if you are closely ordered, inevitably, you will stand to fucking fall back and be filtered through this Tlazoli, the filth eater, to which you are purified again and allowed to be sent right up along the continuum should you continue the work necessary to do so, so that you can maintain, so that you can work at better revealing once again the sacredness of your existence, right? It's going to fall into the the ethics of the now of the Mexica people, the fucking the purpose between the purpose, the, the reason behind philosophy for the Mexica people. It's a complete different start and end point than Greek philosophy, bro. They don't give a fuck about trying. It's not that they don't give a fuck. They do, obviously, but for them, as we're going to sign, as we're going to find here, their goal for the Mexica is to discover what our purpose is for being here. Because again, uh, you know, going back to the previous podcast. They believe that you and I, every human being on this planet, we're fundamentally a part of the cosmos, that we are necessary in order to keep the cosmos moving. So the goal then, and this is where the, the, the Mexica ethics is going to come out, is to, and the purpose behind the philosophy, is for the Tlamatini to help the, the, the wise men, the philosophers, to help people find their heart and their face so that they can, uh, so they can find this purpose and, you know, they can uh, work about bringing this purpose about so that they can contribute their part of the cosmos. Okay. Uh, and the ethics comes in and play when realizing like the shit that you got to do, like the, like the, the work that you got to do in order to ensure that you are properly contributing what it is that you were, you know, created by Teotl for in order to, you know, serve your purpose to the uh, unveiling of the universe. Okay. So again, it should just stand to reason that there's ideas of fixed eternality that the Christian European people, by way of, you know, platonic theory of forms, uh, they just reject it. They don't see it this way. It's not going to remain this fixed position eternally. Okay. Everything is always in movement. The Mexica philosophy is a philosophy of movement, including things like our commitments to a lifestyle or to a goal. Right. And while we may at one point be at the high ordered end of the spectrum where we reveal greatly, if you see, I keep, you know, uh, 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 clutching here to my power, uh, because this is exactly what this power does. It reveals greatly. It's so beautifully constructed. It reveals greatly, okay? But inevitably, we run the risk of collapsing back to the lower end. Me, I talk about this shit all the time, these fucking cycles. Addiction, relapse, recovery. It's never a fucking, uh, um, or addiction, recovery, relapse, right? It's never, you get to the recovery part and that's it. You're fucking recovered. No, dude, recovery is a fucking everyday struggle, dog. You don't just fucking get to the point of recovery and you never have to worry about the things that you were addicted to because the things that you've been addicted to will always fucking be there. What are we addicted to according to the Mexica philosophy? It's simple. We are addicted to trying to, and this is me importing my language onto it, but it's gonna, it still relates. I'm importing my language into the thoughts is what I'm trying to tell you here. Um, we're trying to find a meaning and purpose, okay, for our being here. That's our addiction, if you will. And in doing so, to quote their, 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 their great poem, we give our heart and our face away to anything that will promise us the comfort that we feel in believing, in many cases falsely, that we have found the purpose for our existence, okay? Or conversely, we'll give them away to the things that take away the pain and knowing that we're not fucking, uh, you know, fulfilling our reason and our purpose for being here. That's the whole fucking point here, okay? When it comes to this whole higher ordered end of the spectrum, eventually you do run the risk of collapsing back to the lower end because once you get to, you could find your goal. Like, I, I fucking found it. This is my reason to be here on this fucking planet, okay? On this slippery earth known as Laltic Pak. But just because you found that reason doesn't mean that the fucking commitment necessary to stay there just fucking is going to be within you forever. 
right? It's a constant process. It's a constant work. And guess what, dog? Chances are you're going to fucking slip back inevitably into the fucking grips of the addiction that you that, that was keeping you from that fucking process in the first place. But it's okay because it's a never ending cycle of movement, right? And the goal is to become stronger through this fucking cycling so that when you do collapse back into these patterns of behavior, you can be sent back up to the higher ordered end of the spectrum that reveals that the old aspect and a higher at, at, at a greater level through this fucking filth process. You know what I mean? This filth cleansing process of Lazo Tio, okay? So then this is why then for the Nahuatl, okay? Uh, rather than seek to rid the world of Flazoli, the filth, right? They sought to just properly order it. They said everything has a fucking proper place, okay? Uh, and in this particular case, it was with the transformative for Tlazoli, okay? The sacred cluster of power that's associated with the cycle becoming the sacred filth, if you will, which is represented, and this is what I talked about on my Instagram post a couple months ago, by the quote-unquote Nahuatl goddess of Tlazotiotl, okay? I say quote-unquote because the Nahuatl didn't believe in gods or goddesses the way that fucking European people do. They believed in sacred clusters of energy that are associated with these fucking powers, right? So, for instance, the favorite example that I like to give is that of Tlaloc, the quote-unquote rain god. It's not a fucking rain god, dog, okay? It's a sacred cluster of powers that the Nahuatl, again, because they believed that they were intimately involved with the unfolding of the universe, that they could bring about, say, during an era of drought, okay, uh, by acting in accordance to a certain, uh, to certain ritual, ritualistic behaviors, okay? Uh, and the sacred clusters would just be that which we associate with rain, shit like thunder, uh, clouds, raindrops, etc. Right? That's all. Uh, that's all part of a sacred cluster of a process of the unfolding that is referred to as rain. Okay. Thus, the example of the rain god. Right. So moving along then, uh, what this implies then ultimately is going to be the non-existence of a quote-unquote other, right? Or the non-existence of a transcendent, if you will, reality apart from that which we are inhabiting for the Mexica. There is only this. There's only this reality, okay? Now, um, one of the more interesting elements that emerges from this are the epistemic commitment that this monism implies, okay? Specifically in terms of knowledge and the viability of sources from which knowledge is derived, okay? Now, so just what I'm trying to tell you here is that since all of reality is but one, there's only one reality, as uh, uh, Mexica Metaphysics considers our sleeping state to be every bit as real as our waking experience, okay? So much so that they consider dreams to be a perception of reality uh, at places far removed from the one occupied by the sleeping body, right? The sleeping body is obviously huge in Western philosophy where they're trying to somehow synthesize the distinction and make sense of the distinction between the two. And it's like, you know, they, they run into the struggle. It's not really a struggle for the Mexica, bro. It's like, yeah, that's just reality. That's just a different state of reality that's taking place at a complete different space from where our physical body is currently occupied, okay? And the knowledge that we gain via uh, our sleeping states, right? We are our, what I talked about before, the animistic forces that are occupy our body, the, the tonali, the teolia, and the iot, and the ihiot, okay? Uh, that knowledge itself is every bit as accurate as the knowledge that we gain here in our Western experience, okay? That our tonalis, they leave our body and they fucking interact with, you know, uh, they communicate with the sacred in the sacred space, right? And, you know, they acquire certain kinds of knowledge. And then because of this, the ability to dream and to see in one's dream, to acquire knowledge through dreams, it's a sacred gift for the Nawa, right? For the Mexica, for the Mexica people. Okay. So, um, it was so sacred for them that they had this beautiful prayer that it was addressed. Well, I think it's beautiful. It's very subjective. I mean, right? This beautiful prayer that was uh, addressed to Tezcatlipoca and it states, and now 
O Master, O Lord, O Lord of the near, of the night, may through, or rather, may though incline thy heart, that by the grace for yet a while they see in dreams, know in dreams, okay? This just reveals how deeply fucking uh, 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 important the Nahuatl, the Mexica people held dreams to be, okay? So important that, dog, they fucking standardized and they recorded their dreams and their understanding of dreams and what they referred to as this Temicamat, okay, which is a book of dreams, Right. And it ranked in importance, which book, uh, or rather this book of dreams, this Temicamat, right? It ranked in importance along with the fucking Tomalpoawali, which is the book of, I'm terribly butchering this Nahuatl language. I'm still learning to speak it myself, but I'll say it again. Tomalpoawali, right? Which is the book of days, their book of years, the Shomat and the count of years, right? The Shopali, right? This fucking Shopali. Uh, this, uh, this book of dreams was every bit as important to them as these now, uh, as these other books, right? So again, it solidifying the importance of this one unified experience of reality, whether it be a dream state, a waking state, doesn't fucking matter. No distinction. It's all just, you know, reality. It's all theot. Okay. So uh, moving on then, we start to realize, okay, well then clearly this theot is everywhere, dog. And it's in everything. Okay. And that because of that, the Mexica believed that theot presented itself most dramatically and was in turn sensed most vibrantly by us, by humans, okay? Uh, and we could see this in like the vivifying potency, if you will, of shit like water, blood. This is a lot of shit that I talked about in the previous podcast, but it's worth reiterating, right? Water, blood, heat, sunlight, the singing of birds, the plumage of Quetzal birds, and most importantly, in jade, okay? This is where Teot is most highly concentrated according to the Mexica. And that we uniquely are able to experience this kind of shit because we are in turn, it's, we're capable of most vibrantly sensing it, right? Um, and this is where we start to get into the importance of the more real, if you will, quote unquote, I won't say more real, but I'm saying the more well-ordered uh, that uh, the Mexica maintain, that shit becomes, right? That it, it, the, the more that it changes, the more that it fucking moves, the more that it becomes, the more real, quote unquote, that it is, right? So what I mean by this is that according uh, according to this Mexica thought, Teot is defined by the process of transformation. It's defined by the process of movement and change, like I mentioned in the previous podcast, okay? So to that end, unlike this Western conception that views reality as a quote-unquote matter of being or as a matter of isness, like I have this, this, this coffee mug here, right? And this coffee mug just is, okay? It's just one of the many facets of reality that are, Okay. And this coffee mug is comprised of certain components that define its isness. The Nahuatl don't want to see it like that, dog. This coffee mug did not exist in a static state, it didn't just come into existence. This coffee mug existed in a different form prior to its current form. And it's only going to last in its current form for a certain amount of time. And then it's going to return and be redistributed into a complete different form to which it will fucking, you know, continue the process of transformation. That is what the Mexica believe all of reality is. The same could be said of you and I, dog. Like, I didn't exist in this physical form. Even just 10 years ago, I looked completely fucking different. I will look completely different in 10 years from now, okay? I didn't exist in this fucking form uh, about, you know, 40 years. Let's go 40 years ago. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 40 years old, but let's say, right, just, just for the sake of argument, I didn't exist in this fucking body and this form 40 years from now. And I certainly won't exist in this form in an indeterminate amount of years in the future. Okay. I'll just cease to exist, period. However, the particles that the energy that makes up my body, shit will continue to remain. Same as the coffee mug, right? All that shit is going to continue to remain. So this is why they don't say it's a matter of isness. It's a matter of change and becoming. And the more shit changes and becomes, the more real it is for them. Okay. 
So again, you'll notice that these are inherently active words. These fucking words that explain this dynamic world in motion that is constantly changing and moving, right? So in Western philosophy, this shit is called a process metaphysics, bro. And according to this view of metaphysics, only processes, namely, or rather as opposed to objects, entities, or substances like a god or perfect ideas are ontologically fundamental. So the biggest distinction here is that this process metaphysics, again, it's this metaphysics of becoming, okay? Unlike one of being. And I'll emphasize again, because this is an entirely non-agentive process with no telos. Because again, Theot is non-personal, bro. It's non-minded and it's non-intentional. It's not a deity. It's not a person. It's not subject to emotions. It's not. It doesn't have cognition or grand intentions or goals, right? It's not malevolent and it's not benevolent. It isn't characterized by fucking free will or some omniscient intellect. And it's entirely amoral, right? In fact, as, uh, you know, in future podcasts, I'll get into a deeper inquiry of fucking Nawa ethics and shit. And I'll reveal that the ideas, again, of good and evil, as I did previously, and actually not, I think about it a little bit, in the previous podcast, they don't really, they're not understood in the same sense as they are through the Christian framework, okay? So what we're trying to say here is that it's not a godlike entity, basically, like the way the Christian European uh, peoples through uh, non, or through rather this platonic philosophy would have us believe, Okay. It's uh, an ever-actualizing power, okay? So this Theotl's energy, or rather essence, it's one of generating and degenerating. And, uh, okay, the process of unfolding itself is marked by what is referred to as these dynamic, dynamic unities in Western philosophy that I've already discussed in the previous podcast, okay? So according to this uh, Mexica philosophy, then this transformation and becoming a reality consists in this non-teleological struggle. This teleological struggle basically means end goal, just to reiterate, Okay. Christian European people and their ensuing philosophers, they love to philosophize in terms of end goals and they fucking justify all kinds of their bullshit with it. They say history is tr- is fucking engaging in this trajectory and that inevitably we're going to arrive at this end goal, the telos, right? Whether it be the fucking God coming, Christian God coming back, whether it be the end of history, it doesn't fucking matter. Whether it be the modernism, whether it be capitalism, liberating everybody, Christian, European, Western people, they love to think of the world in this terms. Like we're working towards some fucking predefined goal, right? And they'll justify all the bullshit actions necessary for those, for them to get there. Like indigenous Holocaust, slavery, penning people up under a fucking overpass in El Paso, Texas, because they're allegedly fucking illegal immigrants, okay? They'll justify all that bullshit by appealing to their fucking grand telos that they think is unfolding. The Mexica say this is utter bullshit. There is no fucking grand telos. We're just here temporarily, and we're going to be gone, and everything else that we know with it is going to be gone and completely replaced by something different, because that is how shit works, Okay. So from there, we go through into this basic uh, understanding of the approach to man in Nahuatl philosophy, because realistically speaking, dog, if it's all just this grand process of fucking motion and dynamic movement, right, we're going to run into some very fucking serious issues that Western philosophy has already run into, as I mentioned, as I elaborated in deep detail on that previous podcast on Mexica philosophy, and that is fatalism, bro. The Nahuatl, they encountered a similar problem than Western philosophy. But unlike fucking Western philosophy, the Nahuatl, I believe, and this might be fucking, you know, relative. It might be, you know, entirely, it's convenient, I guess, obviously, for me to say that I believe it. But 
it at least offers an ex- uh, uh, a fucking reason that is not, you know, it's not, I don't want to say that it's not. The existentialists in the Western tradition, they offer a similar reason. Create your own meaning, create your own purpose. Or the absurdist even will say, yeah, we'll just live in the face of the absurdity. Okay, maybe, right? But the Mexica approach is going to be slightly different, dog. And here's what's going to happen, okay? Let me just break down the argument for you briefly. What happens here is that roughly conceived, okay, we can... Const, we can confidently assume that what they're going to refer to as this agonist, agonistic, rather, uh, an, uh, anemic dynamic monism, right, is going to imply some negative consequences for human beings on Earth. Tlaltikpak, okay? What the fuck is up, world? Piali, Tlaltikpak. That's what, that's what, that's what Tlaltikpak is, right? Earth, right? World, the world. Piali just says hi. So what's up, world? Okay? It's just saying it twice over it. Um, so yeah, going back to what this uh, agonistic dynamic, uh, dynamic monism implies then for individual people, uh, here on Tlatik Pak and in turn how it defines our life. The answer rests in the aforementioned metaphysics, bro. And what I mean by that is that think about it. If reality is this fucking constant process of motion change, that precludes the possibility of permanence. There is no permanence in, in this, in this Mexica philosophy. It's, it's not possible. Okay. Cause everything's in, in, in constant movement. Right. But if there's no permanence, then that implies that there can be no fixed truth, which is the whole point behind that saying that I've mentioned before. Okay, And if there's no fixed truth, there would appear to be no purpose because purpose rests in truth. This we hold this truth to be self-evident. This is the purpose of life on Earth. Okay, Um but if there's no truth, then there's no purpose, okay? And if there's no purpose, then, yo, what the fuck are we doing here, for reals? Like, here, on Earth, on Tlaltic Pak, okay? Did we, as the famous poem by Nezohuacoyotl, right, asks, really just come here to be born? And is our home really in the beyond, in the realm, if you will, the defleshed ones? Like, the fuck, we're just up in this bitch to die? Is basic just here? That seems kind of fucking weird, Okay. To finish off the way the poem actually ends, it says, or it doesn't really end, but it goes on, it continues to state, are we really here only to suffer in vain? The Mexica, again, they were, this This is a problem, this fucking fatalist, reductive, reductive fatalism, right, by Western materialism that has really gripped hold. It started with Nietzsche, dog. Nietzsche's the one that, just, he didn't really discover it, but he's the one that fucking voiced it so famously, God is dead, bro. In the 1800s, okay? The early 20th century. Nietzsche fucking figured that shit out. So it's been a problem in this Western epistemology, at least through Nietzsche's proclamation since then. Fucking 200 plus years later, as he accurately predicted in his text that the God, the shadow of God will remain being played on the cave, the walls of the cave, right? Some more reference to Plato, which he himself fucking hated. So big ups to Nietzsche in that respect, right? Um, but yeah, like this was what they just Nietzsche discovered this fucking problem 200 years ago. The Nawa had already been on this shit, dog, for thousands of years. You're like, oh fuck. If there's no truth, if there's no permanence, there's no truth, there's no purpose, and if there's no purpose, then what the fuck are we doing here? Are we literally here just to suffer in vain? Right? Is our home really in the realm of the beyond when the, the fleshed ones? And in order to answer this question, the Nahuatl wise men, again, the Tlamatini, they followed and they analyzed the different elements of our existence. So essentially, they fucking philosophized. Fuck all those European fucking philosophers that want to maintain this false belief that the Nahuatl didn't philosophize. Fuck you, dog, and fuck your mama too, okay? So what I mean by this is that they studied man as this real being in possession of an origin, okay? Man as in human, okay? I'm not trying to be gender exclusive here, okay? 
and they examined humans was as a definite nature, okay? And faculties, with faculties who are keenly aware of the distinction between life and death, okay? They also studied humans as the creator of a way of life, right? The author of educational, ethical, legal, and aesthetic principles. Philosophy, bro. And most importantly, they studied the quote-unquote divine spark that I've already mentioned in the previous podcast in man's heart that transformed them into an artist, poet, or sage, dog, okay? And it's this last part that's of critical importance here, okay? Because inherent in this Nahuatl metaphysics is the belief that while we may not know the reason for our being here, we still appear to be necessary in the process of Teotl unfolding, okay? This is kind of the point that I was talking about earlier with the clusters and how the cluster of arrangements that are, you know, refer referred to as a god and how we can actively bring, uh, go uh, engage in this ritualistic practice that'll bring about these godlike entities, you know, at our desire. Like the Nahua believe, bro, we are, fun we are Teotl, which means that we are sacred. We are the universe. And because of that, we are a fundamental part of the universe, which implies that we, can actively contribute to the process of the universe unfolding. You have a reason to live, bro. You have a purpose. You're supposed to be here for something. The goal then is to figure out what that something is, to clear away the smoke from the smoking mirror, right? And reveal to yourself your true heart and your true face, okay? Um, and so it's this last part that's of critical importance here because again, inherent is not what metaphysics, again, is the belief that we are fundamentally important. Now. A simple reading of this will explain to you exactly why, again, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, the Nahuatl uh, engaged in ritual warfare, okay? But a more complex reading of this asks us to draw our attention to Teot's hidden motives for manifesting as ourselves, okay? So again, dog, we're here for a reason. And it was the, the Tlamatinis, it was their mission to help us discover that purpose by making wise the countenance of the heart and the face, by clearing smoke from the jaded mirror, okay? Because where they hold that we're born faceless and we give our hearts uh, anything that offers us, again, the sense of reprieve from the pain inherent in existence, right? And the whole point of this then was to fucking help ground us to help center us so that we could find our purpose here on earth and actively work on manifesting it now it gets so much deeper than that so much fucking deeper than that bro but unfortunately i'm already at the hour-long mark and i don't want to keep you for any longer than i already need to right so i appreciate that you've already stuck around for this long um i'll definitely talk about it further in future podcasts but for now i'll leave you with i hope you all enjoyed this shit I hope you all, furthermore, have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you next time. Until then, don't forget, follow your boy on the gram, OG underscore Ice Nice 13. Peace. <laughs>